the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Weekday evenings on FM 101.5 and AM 1400, The Patriot. It's 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood. Host Daryl Wood brings you the day's news and trending topics as only he can with a unique blend of conservative opinion, constitutionalism, and thought-provoking analysis. Join the conversation. 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood. A daily look at the news in a way you won't hear anywhere else. Tune in to 6 o'clock talk with Daryl Wood on FM 101.5 and AM 1400, The Patriot. Or stream at PatriotDetroit.com. You are in, in what part of the country? <laughs> Southwest Colorado. Wonderful. How are you picking us up? Oh, I stream you guys on my uh, iPhone every day. Fantastic. Um, I, I am a resident of Sterling Heights, but uh, I frequently come to Southwest Colorado. I am just thrilled to be hearing from you out there in Colorado. Continue to listen, tune in again, and call at your earliest convenience. Godspeed. Run to Win with Daryl Wood, Monday through Friday at 4 p.m. on Faith Talk Detroit. Welcome to the Jewish Hour. I'm your host, Herschel Finner. We've got a great show for you today. In this half hour of the show, we're going to be talking with author Howard Mortman, wrote a really interesting book, When Rabbis Bless Congress, The Great American Story of Jewish Prayers on Capitol Hill. Very interesting. This is, this is believe me or not, this is not a geeky read. This is, this is, I wouldn't be doing it if it wasn't like great. Second half of the hour, we'll be featuring some insights into the portion of Key Seesaw, which can be found in the book of Exodus, chapter 29 and following. We've got wonderful Jewish music Throughout the show, um, um, unbelievable Hasidic story at the end. Before we do anything else, let's go right to the news. Three terrorists were killed during a raid in Arab Shechem. All three were responsible for a string of shooting attacks on Israeli civilians and security forces over the past few weeks. Israeli border guards seize a cache of over 10,000 bullets at a crossing between Israel and Gaza. The ammunition was hidden in a shipment of home goods. A project, here's some really interesting news. A project named Space Kumus will have Israeli chickpea seeds sent to the International Space Station later this month. The project will help develop greenhouses in space. British Jews recorded 2,255 anti-Semitic incidences in 2021, the highest tally in Europe. Halfway through the Winter Olympics, and Israel has yet to win a medal, but Israel really doesn't do very well in the Winter Olympics because there's not a whole lot of snow in Israel. 
Finally, heavy rains in Israel have filled, are helping fill the Kinneret, Israel's largest reservoir. The lake now stands at 50 inches below maximum, and the snows in the mountains have, yet not, have not yet melted. And that's the news. Why go to a hospital to get healthy? At Encompass Healthcare, you get the state-of-the-art wound care like in a hospital. The same medicines, the same everything without being in a hospital. Why put yourself at risk of getting a hospital-borne infection? Did you know that last year, one in six people died in America because of infections they got in hospitals? Encompass Healthcare is an outpatient facility. That means you get your wound care treatment and then go home. There are no wait times at Encompass Healthcare like in ERs. Healthcare is personal and works better, faster, and easier. Encompass Healthcare provides a state-of-the-art outpatient facility close to where you live. Call 248-624-9800. That's 624-9800. Auto accident, workman's comp, and most insurances accepted. Encompass Healthcare's goal is to get you healthy with as little disturbance to your daily activities. Call 248-624-9800. Shower. We have on live... Mr. Howard Mortman, who is the press, the communications uh, director for C-SPAN, which in itself is quite a, we could talk about that for, for probably 20 minutes, but we won't, has written a book called When Rabbis Bless Congress, The Great American Story of Jewish Prayers on Capitol Hill. How are you today, Howard? I am well, thank you. Thank you for uh, including me in your program. I really appreciate it. Thank you. It is our honor. We only review good books on the Jewish Hour, just to let you know. So, <laughs> thank you. My... No, they... Thank you. All right. Well, that's... <clears throat> I got my work set up for me in this one now. Thank you. Yeah, my mother says, if you don't have anything good to say about something, just don't say it. So bad books don't get reviewed. They just get thrown into the pile. And sorry. <laughs> so you're on. Okay. Now, something very intriguing before we actually talk about the book is the idea of invocations in Congress, which has been going on since the Capitol, uh, what do you call it, the Congressional, what, Continental Congress in 1774, when Congress first opened up in 1789, there's been somebody saying, God bless, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it's, nobody really seems to mention anything over the past 200 and something years of separation of church and state, and why do we need to have, and why, why do we have clergy people blessing Congress before each day, more Howard? Yeah, and I'll tell you something, I, I'm really happy that you went big. Like, before we even talk about rabbis, let's let's just go broad and talk about what Congress does every session, because that's, that's the big picture here. Um, and as you point out, every time Congress meets, uh, the House and the Senate, every time the gavel in, the very first thing that they do in every legislative session is pray. Uh, there is a chaplain, uh, there's an official chaplain for the House, an official chaplain for the Senate, and they offer roughly a two-minute uh, prayer uh, to the Almighty. Um, and uh, it, they, it's a, it literally, it's the first thing they do. They, they pray even before they do the Pledge of Allegiance um, in Congress. And it's been going on, as you point out, it's been going on since the very beginning. So this is an established tradition of Congress that actually has been protected by the Supreme Court, um, and it's, you know, it's just part of their, uh, the, the, what they do every day. So it just, you know, few people know that this tradition practice even occurs, um, but it, it has been from the very beginning. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. Uh, 
and that that it seems to have gone under the wire a little bit. There was some the support. Supreme Court did say something. Uh, I don't know, ten, fifteen years ago, that said, "No, nah, it's okay. They can keep doing it." But for the most part, it's it's uh, God bless gets God blesses the Congress, which is, I suppose, a very good thing. It does say actually in Ethics of Our Fathers, and there are actually included in the, in the liturgy that it says to bless the government because were it not for the government, people would swallow each other alive. So it's uh, good or bad or indifferent. It's I guess I suppose it's very good that we have government. Okay, so now I went looking. I says, okay, so the first rabbi spoke to Congress in 1860. I'm not sure if that was uh, Lincoln or before Lincoln. And I said, okay, so when was the first Catholic priest? And... Mm-hmm. I didn't find anything. I went all over, up and down Google and everything in Congress and didn't find. <laughs> it seems like nobody cares, or maybe it wasn't such a thing that people noted. It was just like, duh. But so, but the first rabbi that was that was on there in 1860. So, what do you make of that? And I mean, there were other things. I couldn't find the first Muslim. I did find the first Hindu in 2007. I don't know about Buddhists. I didn't even go there. So, what do you make of that, Howard? Yeah, so that I, I love that. That's and this is where it, it gets really interesting. Um, when a and to cut to the chase, right? The first rabbi who prayed in Congress was 1860. His name was Rabbi Morris Raphael, um, and actually it was right before Lincoln was president. James Buchanan was president, and America was on the verge of the Civil War. Um, the reason there was a rabbi is because. Ten years earlier, in the 1850s, Congress started bringing in guest chaplains, uh, uh, chaplains who would uh, give the prayer when the official chaplain wasn't available. Um, there is a reason. There's there's two primary reasons why Congress brings in substitute guest chaplains. Um, one is for practical reasons that, for some reason, the official chaplain is not around, can't do his or her duties, um, is somewhere else. Or, and this is kind of the more profound point, it's to show, to demonstrate the diversity of religion in America, to show the breadth of religions uh, and denominations we have in this country. Um, so uh, the first rabbi was in the 1860s. Yeah, I love the fact that you searched for other religions, and actually that, that's, I, that's really important uh, because other religions have been represented up there. There have been Muslims, there have been imams, there have been Native Americans, um, there have been Hindus, um, and uh, among it's funny. I get I get a question a lot from uh, non-Jews who want to know have there been more Catholics or Presbyterians or whatever. And I I don't know the numbers on that, um, but it just when when a rabbi or another religion gets up there and gives the prayer as a guest chaplain, that shows. And this is what the founders are trying to demonstrate: is that this is a country of religious freedom, where people are free to practice their own religions, and that goes back. In some way, to what you were saying about just you know the, the nation under God and uh, and the ability to to, um, to practice your religion, so that that is one way for in practical terms they can uh, demonstrate diversity of religion in America. Uh, that is a fascinating insight, Howard. Okay, so how does let's get back a little bit. So how does a chaplain get to be a guest chaplain? Yeah, that's a great question. A very, very practical question. You know, you're a rabbi, like I'm sure, you know, why can't you be up there? So I had, let me just interrupt. I had the the distinction of actually opening up the state Senate of Michigan a couple of years ago. I was invited by my local state senator to, uh, to do that in the state of Michigan. So 
So go ahead. Yeah, it was it was it was cool. It was way cool. Well, let me just tell you. Go oh, ahead. I actually, I'd lo- I want to stop talking. I want to hear you talk about that. That's wonderful. <laughs> I love that. Okay, give, spend some time. Tell me about your experience up there. I want to hear that. That's where. That's um, I would like to say I remember what I said, but I don't. <laughs> but uh, people thank me very much. And the, the biggest comment I got from this, the people on the floor was, we're really sorry that the lieutenant governor who presides over the state isn't here because I'm six foot eight and he's six foot seven. And they wanted to have somebody standing next to him that was taller than him. So, but uh, it was, it was, it was definitely well received uh, as uh, there was at that there's uh, at the time there was one Jewish state senator and three state representatives that were Jewish. They called themselves the Jewish caucus, all four of them out of, I don't know, 140 rep, uh, legislators. And uh, I, we stayed there for a day and we got to sit sit on the, the uh, and watch what was going on. And after a couple of hours, we got bored and left. So, was, <laughs> but we did, the state capitol in Michigan is a beautiful building. I recommend it to anybody if you get a chance to, if you have, some, if you have a spare afternoon to go visit the state capitol in Lansing, which which is built, I think, in the 1860s, and it's kind of, it's a, it's a uh, same style as the state, of the the U.S. the U.S. Capitol building, the huge dome, the big pillars, the whole business, the Greek, the Roman Greco architecture, and the the uh, the inside is painted with various uh, por- hung with portraits, and there's all kinds of uh, tile work. It's it's a it's a really cool place. So that's, that's that, my is, that is so, I, I love that. There's a couple things that you point to me that I, I love that so much um, on a very practical level. The um, uh, um, your experience you asked about how to get picked that experience very much. I love the fact that you said you uh, you hung around there, <laughs> listened to the debate. That uh, I hear that from rabbis who were who did the prayer in Congress. And they just there was actually but three weeks ago uh, Rabbi Moshe Feller, a Lubavitch rabbi. Uh, gave the prayer in the Senate, um, and it was the first time a rabbi had prayed in the U.S. Senate in a couple of years, and he just stayed there. He, uh, he stayed there for like 45 minutes sitting on the floor after the prayer, gave a great prayer, and uh, he just sat there listening to the debate. So that I love that. Um, it's, it, this is your experience in the state, state legislature. There's actually a very important point about that, is that there's prayer that opens the U.S. Congress, and I believe all or most or many of the state legislatures open with prayers. And that's very important because that also, we were talking about court cases, that's also protected. Uh, The city council meetings can open with prayers. That's all protected by the courts. Um, Presidential inaugurations open, have opened with rabbi prayers, um, going back since uh, since Truman. Um, National party conventions, Republicans and Democrats both have prayers and both have rabbis, Every four years, so it is a practice. It is a practice that's rooted uh, in many different facets of political and governing life. People often overlook it because you kind of you know fast forward over the prayer. But if you just dive down and just see who's giving the prayers and what they are saying, it just becomes a very interesting you know, study and you know examination of of you know the intersection of religion and politics in America. Okay, so uh, our guest today is Howard Mortman. He is the Director of Communications for C-SPAN. He has written a book, When Rabbis Bless Congress, The Great American Story of Jewish Prayer on Capitol Hill. And that's what we're talking about. What about, like, say, um, very often, even though the rabbis don't mean to be, 
but very often what is conveyed in sermons is a reflection of the times. Is there seems like if it's like uh, like the, the first rabbi who was like before the Civil War, there were rabbis during the Vietnam War when it was a real hot topic to be talking against war and other political uh, matters. Is there and, and going through the, the 440 or so rabbis that have spoken in the last 100 and almost 200 years it is now at this point, um, 100 and, 120 years. Have they really, have they like injected politics into their sermons or is it has just been, please God bless this house and make sure everything works and the country doesn't. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's a great question. That goes to the very core of this whole thing. Um, uh, uh, they are given so there's two things happening. There's the official chaplain of the House and the Senate, um, and then there's the guest chaplains, and that's what we're talking about. The guest chaplains are typically given uh, a set of rules um, uh, when uh, they're preparing their, you know, their prayers of two, roughly two minutes. And one of them is they're, they're told, they're warned, they're, they're urged to not get involved in politics and policy. I mean, they're there to pray and not to debate and not to vote. Um, now, with that being said, sometimes prayers there there are big looming issues there are big issues looming over America and over the chambers that day there might be a big vote um, there might be a huge national debate on something uh, or national turmoil that that it bleeds into the prayers and you, the language reflects what 's happening. Uh, in America at the time, you mentioned Vietnam, and I love that. The, uh, you know, I think roughly 10 or 12 percent of all the rabbis who have prayed in Congress prayed during the Vietnam War, and their rhetoric then, rhetoric, I mean, their language then mirrored the anguish, mirrored like the two big faces of American involvement in Vietnam. One, you know, the bravado going and supporting the troops, fighting the communists, and that that kind of language you could hear in the rabbis' prayers. Then when America started souring on the war, we started losing. Then, you know, then we, rabbis got up and, and included language like, you know, when we bring the boys home, you know, we need to address societal ills, things you know, at home. Um, so very much it, the language reflects what's happening. Another big example is immigration, um, that there's always, you know, every five, six, seven years is a big immigration debate. Uh, or vote in Congress, and sometimes rabbis have given prayers at the time of these big votes. And the Jewish experience in America is so wrapped up into the, Im the immigrant story um, that you hear personal stories of rabbis getting up and saying, my father was a refugee, my father was an immigrant, or quoting um, from Emma Lazarus's poem, The Great Colossus and the Statue of Liberty, giving your tired, your poor, incorporating that kind of language. So it's not, they're not really urging politics or urging a partisan vote, but they are bringing in outside experiences and trying to make that applicable uh, to what's happening at that time. Okay, cool. Okay, my my friend, Jaime Schaberstein, was asked to speak uh, in Congress. Um, must be about 20 years ago already. And I asked him, so how we, we were all like, you know, we, we had to go to somebody who had a television and we all crowded around who had C-SPAN. It was like, you know, cable television 20 years ago. Wow. And so we're sitting there and he stands up and he says, he makes this, this invocation, our dear father in heaven, et cetera, blah, 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 blah. Okay. So when he came back, I said, so what was it like? He said, it was really hard talking to an empty room. It was like, 
there was there was nobody there. It's like so yeah. so. There's a prayer that opens up Congress. In the meantime, all the people that are in their offices, they're doing what they're doing. They're right. getting ready for vote. They're doing research. They're doing whatever whatever Congress people do. Congress is in right. session, and uh, we got it. But does does anybody really care? Does it really matter that there is a prayer? Yeah, that, so there's, there's I, that's a perfect question and, and perfectly understandable to ask the question. And there's two, when you say it doesn't matter, there's like, there's two ways to go about it, about answering that saying, well, it doesn't matter, I mean, nobody hears it, or it doesn't not matter because America never changes. You know, there's like the big picture doesn't matter, then there's a the small picture. The small picture doesn't matter, meaning, do our people actually physically listening to it? So, you know, it's it's the first thing that Congress does every day is pray, but that also means no one's there yet. Um, so they're just gathering. So there has been there's no votes, there's no debate. So it is for a practical sense there is nobody in the room. Um, but and here's the big but. Now, on a couple occasions, the people are assembled at the beginning if there's like a big national, you know, war or something. But um, the big caveat to that, saying it's an empty room. I, you, I love, and I, this is not just because I work at C-SPAN, I love you said, when you said that you watched on C-SPAN, so a, a prayer that's given to an empty chamber is nevertheless broadcast on cable to 100 million people, potentially, and that's our, we reach 100 million people, no, now they're not watching, they're not all watching the prayer, but you're, the, the, the person of the man or woman of the cloth who's given the prayer is really... Um, ministering, to use the word, to to the Almighty, but also to the outside world. So you are reaching uh, people on the outside. Um, and uh, so, you know, it's, it is, yes, it's an empty room, and I, I've had rabbis tell me that exactly that. They're just not used to talking to nobody. They're used to having people nodding and, you know, and agreeing with everything they say because they're rabbis, um, and you don't have that kind of experience. So Was, was that, is, was that it, nodding I, or nodding off? What, did, what was that? <laughs> Pretty funny. The, the first prayer, Rabbi Raphael gave a prayer that is endless, and it goes on forever. The congressional record at the time, it's really funny. Now, now they have like a 200-word cap on these things. But, uh, yeah, um, now, now in the big picture, do they matter? Do, these, do they change anything? I, I, I'll leave that to others to decide whether, you know, whether um, – uh, to who listens, like, you know, what, you know, from as ever, my late father would say, from your mouth to God's ear kind of thing. Um, so you got, I think the purpose is to hope that it has a reflection on the senators. Often the language is, you know, it's, it's one of brethren, it's one of unity um, come together. So hopefully, you know, in an era of, of harsh partisanship, these, these little sermonettes have, have some kind of impact. Indeed. Our guest again today is Howard Mortman, written a book called When Rabbis Bless Congress, The Great American Story of Jewish Prayer on Cop Prayers on Capitol Hill. Is there any, maybe you discussed the significance that the first woman to give an invocation was uh, a, a rabbi? The, the, right. So the first, well, the first woman rabbi um, to, to give, exactly right, the first woman rabbi to give a prayer in Congress was also the first ordained woman rabbi in America, um, uh, same person, her name, uh, Sally Prezand, um, she graduated, was ordained from Hebrew University in 1972, and for his fellow history lovers, you and me and others, you, you know, the early 70s was a time of, of, of great advancement, you know, great efforts to include women into more of American society, and one of them was the first woman rabbi. Uh, and the first prayer uh, in Congress, and Sally Prezand 
gave the first prayer uh, in 1973, first prayer by a woman rabbi in 1973. Um, she was sponsored, and I, if you remember the name, she was sponsored by Congresswoman Bella Abzug. Oh, I remember um, you remember her? Yes, uh, a Democrat from the uh, a very liberal Democrat from New York um, wore the funny hats, and you know, and, and Sally Prezan never noted, never mentioned in her remark in her prayer that she was the first woman, but um, uh, but uh, Bella Abzug made that a big point of her sponsoring remarks. So she was the first one, um, and it was talk about history. It was the same day that the House uh, submitted to the Judiciary Committee letters of impeachment for President Nixon uh, to consider. So it was really the first day of the uh, the, uh, the uh, potential, the the, uh, the ensuing impeachment proceedings against Nixon. Um, so she was there on a big history day. Now, she was the first. There have been 14 women rabbis since then. Um, so it's, uh, you know, there's a couple ways to, to, to look at that. Um, you know, you can say, well, the first man, the first male rabbi was 1860. The first woman rabbi was 1973. You can say, well, what took so long? But then the other way looking at it is, well, it only happened after the first a year after the first woman rabbi was ordained. And then you can say, well, there's been subsequently 150 so rabbis since then. You know, for all the talk about including women, how come they've been excluded from this practice? Um, I will say just uh, the studying it, um, the, 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 the prayers that the rabbi, women rabbis give are just, just as good as the men rabbis. You know, you kind of just want to hear more from them. Um, but uh, no, but Sally Friesand, uh, uh was the first one in 1973. That's right. Okay, so now that we've talked about your book, let me let's look at the book itself. We've finally got all that in. Okay, so now, if I was thinking I was going to do a book like this and I was a historian, I would think we would start with the first one in 1860, this next one in 19-whatever, the next one after that, the next one, until we get to uh, the one that was done three weeks ago. But you didn't put it in chronological order, Howard. You put it in by topics. Could you explain your your rationale and your methodology as to putting the book together? Thank you for asking that. I, I really appreciate that. And I, I love talking about this. Thank you for uh, for putting it that way. Um, and I've never, I've never been asked that before. I, thank you. You're touching me. Um, the uh, So here's what I did. There was two big parts of this. And, and by the way, just in the big picture, it, it is having done this, and it took me about six and a half years to do the research, and I, no, nothing like this exists. Um, there's definitely no other book about rabbis praying in Congress, and there really isn't any kind of academic study about prayers in Congress in general. So this is all from scratch. What I did was go through um, old C-SPAN video and old congressional records, and I basically looked up every single prayer ever given in Congress and tried to pick out all the rabbis, uh, all the Jewish names. Uh, going back, and I created uh, a database. Um, wait, 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 wait. Let me, let me, let me interrupt. You, you went yeah. all the way back to yeah. 1789 and looked <laughs> up every single day Congress was in session as to see who started the invocation? It's not that bad. I actually started 1860 because I knew the first rabbi was 1860. Oh, okay, so that so was, that's, that's yeah. 80 years. Okay, good. <laughs> a little more reasonable, right? <laughs> and I, you know, I did it in the middle of the night, 2 a.m. You know, I uh, just secret, you know, at my computer here, and and yes, I did go through every single page of the congressional record back to 1860. And now, I, here's where it gets really interesting. It's 
here's where it gets difficult. You think that's the difficult part. What it gets difficult is in the old days, like the 1920s and before, rabbis were referred to as ministers um, uh, often. So the congressional, you can't search rabbi prayer in the congressional record and come up with a book. You know, you, you have to go through each one because the, uh, they don't call themselves rabbis. They call themselves ministers or just the last name. Um, making it even trickier is sometimes there's a military chaplain who gives a prayer who's a rabbi, but he's identi- he identifies with his, his, his service, his military service, and doesn't identify as a rabbi. So it, it involved a lot of just a lot of cross-checking to make sure I was getting it right that these are all the rabbis in there. Um, and, uh, you know, because, it, because I was the first one ever doing this, it's both thrilling and and uh, frightening because I, if I'm going to be the first, I have to get it right. Um, so it just involved a lot of just going through inspection each prayer. So I created a database, and you know, so I, your question's great. Like, why not just why not just do a book of just reprinting every every rabbi prayer chronologically? Um, it certainly would be easy that way um, or easier. But it struck me there are such really interesting stories. Um, thematic story, content stories of what they said um, and grouping them into topics. And rabbis have talked about war. They've talked about the fight on communism. They've talked about the fight on terrorism. They've talked about the environment. They've talked about the space program. They've talked about sports. Uh, they've incorporated a lot of themes, you know, contemporary themes, contemporary meaning at their time themes into these prayers that just became interesting to see, you know, when did they talk about communism and what kind of rhetoric did they use and at the same time the stories of the rabbis themselves were interesting um who they are and you know to the extent i could find some biographical detail of you know such as rabbis who survived the holocaust uh who came to america became rabbis and uh and ended up praying in congress I and mean, that's just a fascinating story of uh you know of, of immigration uh, there were six rabbis who survived auschwitz uh, came to America and ended up praying to Congress. So I wanted to be able to at least give some kind of colorful detail to who these these uh, you know these rabbis are and what and to the extent I could what got them in front of Congress to give a prayer. Okay, I'm I'm really excited, but we're really running out of time. But okay, so I believe the clergy person who holds the record for you can correct me who holds the record for most appearances for the invocation in Congress is Billy Graham with 14. So I would think that Rabbi Moshe Feller, who just gave his 11th appearance in Congress, would be number two. Would that be a safe assessment? And pretty interesting that there is such a balance in this Judeo-Christian world country that we live in. So uh, two quick things. Um, uh, the, 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 uh, rabbi Feller is number two all-time among rabbis. The number one rabbi um, is a rabbi, Arnold um, Reznikoff, um, who, has given eight, who just gave his 18th prayer, um, Chai, um, a couple weeks ago. He's a retired um, Navy veteran. He fought in Vietnam. Um, he's given the prayer 18 times. Rabbi uh, Feller um, uh, is in a strong second place, though. <laughs> he's uh, uh, he was, I think, uh, um, in nine prayers in the Senate and one in the um, uh, in the House. Um, it really, and I know we're running out of time. Let me just give you this a real, really fun story that uh, when he, Rabbi Feller, was in the Senate three weeks ago, gave his prayer, and I went over to the Senate press gallery and I watched uh, the prayer being offered. 
and uh, his family was up there, uh, the uh, grandkids and, you know, his sons and just a beautiful large family sitting in the gallery. And I, I met them afterwards because I, I communicated with them through the production of this book. And they brought with him, Rabbi Feller, after he gave the prayer, brought with him to Philin. And he put tefillin on me right outside the center <laughs> chamber, and I hadn't done tefillin in 30 years, and it was it was great. And we and we were standing actually right where the riot had occurred, January 6th, and just it was so moving. My late father would have been so proud that uh, I was putting on tefillin right outside the Senate uh, with the Lubavitch Rabbi, uh, right where the, the riot had occurred, and it was thanks to Rabbi Feller. So. Uh, just a beautiful moment for me and, and just a beautiful family. It's just a really drove home the point of just the freedom of religion in America. Wonderful. Okay. Our guest today has been Howard Mortman. He's written a book, When Rabbis Bless Congress, Great American Story of Jewish Prayers on Capitol Hill. It is published by, and I was going to have to open up the book and see who it's published by. Unless you want to just inject who it's published by real quick. Boston. Uh, come on. Who is your publisher? Academic Studies Press. Academic Studies Press. Academic Studies Press. Thank you very much. Yeah. I couldn't recognize mm-hmm. the thank logo. You. So, and available mm-hmm. on Amazon and wherever you get your books from. And we want to thank you so much, Howard, for enlightening us. This has been wonderful. Thank you. I really appreciate being interested in the topic. I appreciate it. Okay. Take care. Okay. Thanks, Rabbi. Thanks. We're going to take a quick commercial break, and we'll be right back. You're listening to The Jewish Hour. Want assurance of quality and excellence in kosher? Look for the Michigan K on the label. What's it look like? The Lower Peninsula of Michigan with a K. It's the symbol of the Michigan Kosher Supervisors. Go to their website, mycosup.com. That's M-I for Michigan, K-O for kosher, and S-U-P for supervisors, mycosup.com, and find this month's featured products. You'll find Michigan K products wherever fine food is sold, especially at Natural Food Patch on West Nine Mile Road in Ferndale. Herschel Finman here. You're listening to the Jewish Shower. I thought that was fascinating myself. Tell me about how you felt about it. Go to RabbiFinman.com and drop me a line if you're so inclined. Speaking of dropping a line, this is famed God, Elbaz, and Itai Amar together doing a song called Tachsik Oti, which means Strengthen Me. Thank you. 
תפסתי פה, שאלתי שם, היש לי דרך בעולם. אמרו לי חכמים, תמשיך, בסוף תגיע. וילוו לך בשבילים, מלאכים של רחמים. הנה אני ניצב בפתח בבקשה, פתח לי דלת, רציתי לחלות פניך, כי רק אתה יכול לחמול על הנשמה שלי. תחזיק אותי, שלא God Elbaz and Itai Amram toxically strengthened me. Up next, this is a very interesting song. The artist is Moshe Chavusha, who I, this is the first time I came across him. I'm not sure how famous he is in Israel. The song is called Amuna, which means you got to have faith. Thank you. 
We all know there's an opiate epidemic, but Advanced Rapid Detox has a solution for people addicted to pain pills, heroin, and dependent on Suboxone and Methadone. Advanced Rapid Detox performs detox under sedation in the hospital. Patients sleep through withdrawals and wake up without cravings. Dr. Julia Aronoff and the staff at Advanced Rapid Detox help people restore their lives and the lives of their families. Addiction affects everyone, even in the Jewish community, and Advanced Rapid Detox is there to help. Call 800-603-1813. That's 800-603-1813. Or visit them online at www.advancedrapiddetox.com. Herschel Finman here. You are listening to The Jewish Hour. We've got time for one more. This is a song, a very cute song. I like this one. It's called Lekavit Shabbos, which means in honor of the Sabbath. And it's Lekavit Shabbos Kosh in honor of the Holy Sabbath. And this is Mati Weiss. Shabbat Kodesh. 
Why go to a hospital to get healthy? At Encompass Healthcare, you get the state-of-the-art wound care like in a hospital, the same medicines, the same everything without being in a hospital. Why put yourself at risk of getting a hospital-borne infection? Did you know that last year, one in six people died in America because of infections they got in hospitals? Encompass Healthcare is an outpatient facility. That means you get your wound care treatment and then go home. There are no wait times at Encompass Healthcare like in ERs. Healthcare is personal and works better, faster, and easier. Encompass Healthcare provides a state-of-the-art outpatient facility close to where you live. Call 248-624-9800. That's 624-9800. Auto accident, workman's comp, and most insurance is accepted. Encompass Healthcare's goal is to get you healthy with as little disturbance to your daily activities. Call 248-624-9800. Herschel Finman here. You're listening to the Jewish Hour. This week's portion of Seesaw features the sin of the golden calf in the aftermath. It is found in the book of Exodus, chapter 29 and 4 following it's a long it's a long portion uh i think 34 or 35 in the middle of the whole thing that's going on okay god's not really happy that the jews made a golden calf and for all intents and purposes we are still trying to pick up the pieces after the sin of the golden calf we're still trying to clean up the mess moshe has to evoke like he has, to, he has to pull all the aces out of his sleeve to get the Jewish people forgiven. And he pulls out, you should pardon the expression, the trump card, which is a bridge term, not a political term, and evokes the 13 attributes of mercy, which are God, oh God, mighty God, who is, who is uh, merciful and kind and patient and, and uh, uh, slow to anger and doesn't pay back for three or four generations, goes through this. So now, what's the deal with the 13 attributes of faith? So with this one, I've, I have talked uh, for close to 13 hours, giving a detail as to each one as to why they are considered an attribute of mercy, what they do, how they function. Uh, but we don't have 13 hours right now. But the idea is, really, why did Moshe know this? Why did Moshe know what God's 13 attributes of mercy were? Is because the Almighty wants to forgive the Jewish people. We see the high priest, which is the first part of last week's portion, talks about the high priest and his clothes and whatnot. And the second part talks about the dedication and the actual functioning of the high priest. The Kohen Gadol happens in chapter 8 in the book of Leviticus in the portion of Shemini. And uh, no, it's earlier. It's like chapter 4. And the, the, the we don't know a whole lot about what happened with the high priest in the Holy of Holies, but the last person to go in said, this is what I saw. I saw the divine presence crying. And I said, what are you crying about? He said, I'm going to destroy the base of Mikdash. I'm going to destroy the temple. I'm going to send my, my children into exile. Please bless me. So the high priest says, oh, wait a minute, we got, we got some role reversals over here. Who's blessing whom? And he says, well, what should I bless God with? And he said, God said to this divine presence, said to this uh, high priest, bless me that my 
attribute of mercy should overweigh or outweigh my attribute of severity. And he said, I may. That's the blessing that you're going to get. Because we don't believe in a vindictive God. God is not sitting up on a throne counting when somebody does something wrong. Oh, I wish you hadn't done that. Oh, something terrible just happened. Oh, third time, zap. No, we don't do that. That would trivialize God terribly. We believe in a God who is all merciful and is just waiting. It says that a voice rings out from the heaven every day. When will my children come back to me? What do we have to do? We have to listen. <laughs> when are we going to come back? Because the expression in the Talmud is more than the calf wants to nurse, the cow wants to give milk. Now that we're calling God a big cow, but you get the idea. The Almighty really wants a relationship with us. Do we want a relationship with the Almighty? We're going to take a quick commercial break and be right back with an amazing story. Don't go away. You're listening to The Jewish Hour. Hi, this is Spex Howard. The Spex Howard School of Media Arts is proud to have been a sponsor of The Jewish Hour and bring quality radio programming to the community. While much of the funding comes from its sponsors, listeners like you help keep The Jewish Hour on the air. Please send your tax-deductible donation to The Jewish Hour 1725 Pinecrest Drive, Ferndale, Michigan, 48220. That's 1725 Pinecrest Drive, Ferndale, Michigan, 48220. Your help is greatly appreciated. Thank you very much. Herschel Fuhrman here. You're listening to the Jewish Hour. Want to get in touch with me? Go to the the website, rabbifinman.com. And if you're listening on rabbifinman.com, I really have to get in touch with my webmaster, see if we can do that, so you can switch from one page to the other and not lose it. Because if you're listening on rabbifinman.com and you click on another another page, you're going to lose what you're listening to. You can click back and go back to it, but it's a, that's a bit of a hassle. So if you're listening on some other platform, you know, iTunes or Stitcher or uh, Spotify, whatever, or you're listening on however you're listening, you can go to rabbifinman.com. And you can write on the front page, you have contact me. Anything interests you or questions that you want to pose? If you have a question, for the, by the way, for any of the people who, with whom we interview, because we are recording the show, so you can't ask your questions, but you can ask me the questions. And I have the guy's phone number. I can ask the question to him, and then I can get back to you. It's like, yes. Okay, and it's a little bit tedious, rather than you trying to go online and try to hunt down this person because I've already done that already, and uh, most of the times when I've, it's an author or somebody like that, I've got the I've got it's right on a piece of paper they mail me with the book. So feel free. That's what I'm here for. We're here to serve. I'm available. I personally, the website's available all the time, but I'm personally available twenty four six to to address your needs and concerns. There's also other ways in which we pre- present. Judaism in an interesting and exciting way. Take a look at RabbiFinman.com. There's also the very important donations page. Ju- the Jewish Hour, yeah, we have some sponsors, but for the most part, for the big most part, it's listeners like you. And if you might notice, we're actually down a commercial since the Specs Howard School of Broadcast co- closed recently this week. We're down a commercial, and we haven't actually been able to pick one up again. So we need that support that fill in that gap, which makes it that much harder. So go to RabbiFinman.com. Go to the Nations page. 
It's all very safe and secure. You can make it a monthly donation. That way you don't even have to think about it. You can make one donation and you're good. It's all it's all good. If and even if you don't like giving donations using your credit card online, which I'm sure there's that when I started this whole gig and saying this, I don't think there are that many people that are afraid of doing credit card donations online anymore but maybe it's an outdated thing but we still there are still people who write checks and it's very interesting people live in the neighborhood have dropped dropped off cash for so whatever your donation is and how you want to present it you could send it also to the jewish hour 1725 pinecrest drive ferndale michigan 48237 and it is greatly appreciated. The Almighty will appreciate it. You'll appreciate it. All the people who listen to the Jewish Hour will appreciate it. We've been online. We're coming up now to 27 years. Wow. No, 28 years. We started in 19, We started in 1996, so it's 24 years. Whoa. Anyway, we'll, we'll talk about that next month because March is our anniversary month. Story. Let's get to it. It happened during the times of the Marshal which is going to put you into the early 1700s in the town where the marshal was rabbi, which in the story is not listed. But anyway, so there was a young man, and there were many plagues that happened to uh, fly through Europe at the time. They didn't have penicillin or anything like that, and people died. And so this woman on her deathbed made her husband promise that he would never get married again. And he's feeling so nice. He promised I'll never get married again. But then after the <laughs> after the funeral, it's like, wait a minute. I'm a young guy. I don't have any kids. How could I? And he went to the rabbi and said, what am I supposed to do? So he's the rabbi said, well, let's look at it this way. Having children is a commandment from the Torah. Keeping your promise to your wife is only rabbinic ordinance. So the Torah outweighs the rabbis, so you can go get married. So he got married, and shortly thereafter, he died. So now, the marshal, the rabbi, was very upset about this, because it seems like the Almighty was, was taking the side of the, of the woman, that he should not get married again. Whereas according to the way he saw it, it should be that he should be allowed to get married. And we have an expression, Torah lo bashamayim. He Once God gave the Jewish people the Torah, it's for us to decide. And there's stories in the Talmud where the Jewish law was decided by people here, even though the Almighty didn't agree with it. So he called in the head of the burial society and said, I want you to follow my instructions specifically. You are to have a funeral for this man. We'll give him the afforded honor that he's due. You are to bury him in a promise, in a prominent place in the cemetery. But when it comes to the actual burial, I want you to lower him into the grave and then walk away. Before the morale, morale himself came up to Marshall, excuse me, came up to was participant in the funeral. He like gave one of the eulogies, and he put a piece of paper into the hand of the deceased, which basically said, I don't know the exact jargon, but basically said that according to the dictates of Torah as interpreted by the Marshall, 
this man was not supposed to die. Therefore, it is incumbent upon the Almighty to give him back. Okay? And they put him into the grave. They left him there, and everybody went home. A couple hours later, this guy was walking around downtown, whatever the name of the city, in shrouds. He's, it's like, like nothing, like he was perfectly healthy. So now comes the problem. It's like, Rabbi, he says, who's going to marry me now? I was dead. It's like, if once you died, you can't get life insurance. It's like one of those things. So it'd be really tough if a guy died and he comes back and he's resurrected <laughs> to try and get life insurance. He couldn't find a, a wife. So the, uh, so, uh, the Marshal prayed to the Almighty that people should forget about the whole thing. But it was written down, and it was discovered by the the mayor of Lublin, who was the one who was from the Chachmei Lublin Yeshiva. He found it in an old book, this that was written in the uh, the the Pinchas, the the ledger for the city of Lublin. That's where it happened. It happened in Lublin. Thank you very much. And so this story needs to be publicized. And that's the story. That's going to do it. We hope we had a chance to entertain you a bit. We hope you had a chance to entertain you a bit. We hope you have a great week. We hope to see you back again next week. Take care. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.